All right. Um, one other thing. So Jane and I were the discerners over there this morning, and it makes it hard when you're the discerner when you also think you might have a word from the Lord. So we, uh, we self-discerned. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give what I, is sort of a strange word uh, of invitation from the Lord, and um, I'll talk a little bit about it so you know what to do with it. I won't ask you to stand, but I think that this word is for anyone who has trouble sleeping. So if you're a person, there were a collective groan that just went up. <laughs> you don't have to stand. You can discern if this is for you or not. I, and I won't even explain how it all came, but I, here's what I think the Lord is saying. To those who are you who are having trouble sleeping, and hear this in all the kindness of Jesus, the word is wake up. And here's how I saw it. It's like I could see Jesus coming to those troubled sleeping, and very gently, it was not a command. It was an invitation. Wake up. It wasn't a condemnation or an accusation or you're doing something wrong. It was a gentle Jesus coming, almost like, you know, in the movies when there's a dream sequence and someone is having a dream and there's something bad happening in the real world and then they hear in the dream someone saying, wake up, wake up. It was like that. Like Jesus was coming very gently to you and just saying, wake up. And I, I don't want to go too far to try to apply. The, the scripture says, don't despise the prophetic word, but test each word and uh, hold fast to that which is good. So you get to determine with God, is this a word for you? But it, my sense of it was the Lord saying, I want to redirect you from your issues with sleeping and spending a little less time thinking about what is not and the problem. And he wants to highlight an area of your life where he's inviting you into something. It could be repentance, it could be joy, it could be ministry, it could be encounter. I don't know. This is as much as I got, so um, let me just pray for that and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to use that as he wants to. Lord, um, I thank you that uh, in your wisdom, not ours, you decided you would trust us with words from heaven. And so, Lord, I ask uh, that you would use this word that I think I discerned for all those with having trouble sleeping, that you would, by the Holy Spirit, speak to them kindly and gently and let them see if this is a word for them and where you're inviting them to simply wake up in your presence. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, it is Advent. Happy Advent. One Advent lover over there. Um, Advent is not a time uh, of just waiting in sort of nostalgia. I mean, however you grew up in Advent, maybe you had candles or maybe you had a manger scene or I think I told you one time about the friend in a small group many years ago. His mother would take Jesus and Mary and Joseph and hide them in the house. And then every day of Advent, she would make them get a little closer to the stable. So the joy of the kids was trying to find Jesus every day. You know, he's on his way to the stable. He's coming. You know, you laugh about it, but it's a pretty good image, isn't it? Isn't that what we're doing during Advent is we're trying to find Jesus every day. I don't think he's hiding himself from us like a wicked mother. But I think, you know, a part of this is we're waiting for Jesus. What will it look like for you to be born in my heart this day? So we're in Advent. It's not just a passive time. It's an active time of incarnation and engagement. 
It's when we walk into the world with um, love-powered hope to demonstrate the coming that Jesus has already done. He's here. He's, he's brought redemption. He's bringing redemption, and he will bring redemption. So in Advent, we don't walk in the hope that Jesus will come. We walk in light of the fact that he already has. So still there's an expectation, right? There's a waiting. We're waiting for Christmas. It's the celebration. But it is the celebration of something that has already happened. Our redemption has come near. Jesus has taken on flesh. He was born a man among us. And we also walk through Advent, not just with the thought of the the first coming, but also looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. He will come in glory. He will come in power. In his first coming, he inaugurated the kingdom. In his second coming, he'll consummate the kingdom. And in this time, we live in the now and the not yet, where we look for increasingly the coming of the kingdom. The early church fathers had this notion of the three comings of Jesus that I I don't think we think about a lot. Um, Bernard of Clairvaux, 12th century, he was a dude. Can't understand a word he says usually. Of course, it's in Latin. That might be part of the problem. (laughs) Just joking. This is what Bernard says. We know that there are three comings of the Lord. The third lies between the other two. It is invisible while the other two are visible. In his first coming, our Lord came in our flesh and in our weakness. In the final coming, he will be seen in glory and majesty. In this this middle coming, he comes in the spirit and in power. So he came to take on flesh and recognize our weakness. He's coming to bring glory and ultimate strength in the kingdom. And in this middle coming, which honestly, we as believers can experience every moment of every day, he, he comes in spirit and in power. He's our rest and our consolation. That, that's a part of what the beauty of Advent is. Our response to the reality of the incarnation is to walk daily in the spirit's power, in these virtues that we'll talk about over the next few weeks, in hope, in peace, in joy, and in love. Because in Christ, we have already received the seed of these virtues, right? In Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we have peace. We have joy. We have love. And part of the in-between times is us growing in those virtues as we cooperate with the Spirit's power to walk out the life of Jesus. So this first Sunday, we're talking about hope. Um, Hope is not an optimism based on odds, okay? Hope is not, I hope the Colts get their stuff together. (laughs) Hope is not, sorry, Buckeyes, I hope we win next year. There's nothing. I got nothing. Only one whoop from the back. Hope is a choice to wait for God to bring about a, a future that is as shocking as a crucified man raising from the dead. That's what hope is about. Hope is a choice to wait for God to bring about a future in our lives that is just as shocking as a dead man coming to life like Jesus did. Hope is epitomized in Jesus. We see hope when we see Jesus. 
So if despair is defined as living in the certainty that certainly not all will be well, that's the definition of despair. I have perfect faith that things will not work out. That's despair. It's a faith of sorts, just in the wrong guy. That's despair. If despair is defined as living in the certainty that all will not be well based on my past experience or my current resources or my current mood, then hope is living in the certainty that all will be well, certainly will be well, based on God's faithfulness, based on God's character, based on God's love and God's power and God's promise. That's hope. It's not something that we can gather and hold and put in a box. It's something that comes from heaven and we live and grow in the midst of it because hope is future-oriented. Despair is very much past-oriented. Didn't happen before, won't happen again. Hope is, I know God's faithfulness. I know his character. I know his love. I know his power. I see his promises. All will be well. We were in uh, Pennsylvania with family this uh, Thanksgiving, and my mom and I were talking as uh, 87 children ran around, bounced off the walls. Turkeys were burning everywhere. It was awesome. And I don't know what it is. I think my mom was concerned about the turkey, and I made some comment about it. It'll all be fine. And my mom says she's got a friend, and this friend, let me get the, make sure I get the quote right. This, this friend says, everything will turn out fine in the end. And if everything has not yet turned out fine, it's not yet the end. And I, I, I wrote it down because I thought, that's hope, right? Everything will turn out well in the end. I mean, that's the big end. That's the big Jesus redeems all things end, right? And that's the perspective that God gives to us. So if things are not all turning out well yet, you can know for sure it's not yet the end. Jesus has not yet consummated his kingdom. Your, your life's story is not yet fully written. There's another chapter. All right. So let's jump into the text for this morning. Isaiah chapter 2, just five verses, verses 1 to 5. And I would ask you, if you have a Bible or a device, uh, open to Isaiah chapter 2. I will have some of the scriptures up there in the beginning, but I, I won't pop them up every time. So love for you to pull out your Bible or your device or your excellent memory and go to Isaiah 2, 1 to 5. Um, why don't we stand as we hear God's word for us this morning? Isaiah 2, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares 
and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask that we would hear the invitation and be empowered in our wills and our spirits to walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. I want to spend a little bit of time in the first four verses kind of diving into the promise and then try to, try to turn and make it as practical as possible at the end as we get this invitation, this command through Isaiah from the Lord to us as his people to walk in the light of the Lord. So in verse 2, there's this promise. Isaiah says, God's temple will be the highest temple, and many people will, and, and this mountain will be the highest mountain, and many people will stream to this temple or to this mountain, and there God will teach them his ways, and God himself will l- l- teach them how to walk in his paths. So he's speaking about the promise of a coming move of God, a coming revival, certainly a coming destiny in the millennial kingdom where many nations and many people will realize that God is God, that there is one true God, and they'll come to that mountain, to that temple, and see that he's the one. I mean, to me, it sounds like revival. And whether you put this revival in current time or in millennial time, it doesn't matter. We're in the midst of all that time right now. God's kingdom has come. This is happening, and it will continue to happen until God fulfills um, eternity. So when will God's temple become the highest? And when will people stream to the temple? Don't we pray for this? You know, that the world and the nations and the peoples would see Jesus for who he is. And here's the promise that it will happen. The scripture says, in the last days. It's a tricky one, and I won't spend a lot of time on it. Certainly, in the millennial kingdom, after Jesus comes back and we rule and reign with him, certainly at that time, all this good stuff is going to happen. But the Apostle Paul, first century, believed that his ministry was partial fulfillment of this promise. So if Paul thought it was going on then, my guess is it's going on now. So when does this move of God happen? I think we're in it. I think it's happening. I think it's different than what we imagine it to look like, but I imagine that this move of God increases, that more power comes from God, that more insight comes from God, that more Muslims get dreams of of a man in white who says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I just heard a story like that again last week. I mean, it's over and over again the way God reveals himself to people. So in the last days, I think it's now. We're in the midst of it in some way, shape, or form. Where will this happen? Where will people come streaming to the, to the temple of the Lord, to the mountain of the Lord? Does anyone in here remember even one word of what was said over the summer? No. Okay, good. I'll remind you. It's a joke. I'm sure you all took copious notes. We were in a series on the, on the Psalms of Ascents, remember? And we talked about these people singing these songs and praying these prayers and believing these promises as they went to worship God in Jerusalem, on the mountain, right? 
So this Jerusalem, this mountain, this temple, we said, is, yes, a physical place, and at the same time, the people of God, and at the same time, the very presence of God. So where does all this happen? I don't think we have to locate it in Jerusalem and say, there'll be a big move of God over there somewhere. We are the people of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where does this move of God happen? I just have to say, right here. Right here, he said, pointing to his own heart. Right there, pointing to your hearts. And right here in our midst, as we pursue the presence of God, the presence pursues people. As we go after God, God goes after people. He goes after us, and through us, he goes after other people. What we walk in right now, every day, is this presence. It, it is why God has made us a part, of, a part of his plan. You know, we walk into the sanctuary. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We walk out with the Spirit of God. And everywhere we go, sounds like a nursery rhyme, everywhere we go, the Spirit of God is, right? Right in the midst of us. And people can come to Jesus and learn his ways and learn to walk in his paths through us. How did you get here? Maybe you had a dream and a revelation, or maybe it was Google that brought you here. More than likely, it was a human. It was a person. Someone said to you, you need to meet Jesus. And then you met him, and it changed everything. In other words, salvation is coming in a way to a people and to an extent that we cannot imagine. This is part of the basis of our hope. I mean, do you hear people saying, like, the world's bad and it's get, just getting worse? You know, go, world's going to hell in a handbasket. There's not a lot of hope in that hellish handbasket. Hope is here in Jesus. And yes, I think things are going to get hard and harder. But as things get harder, the glory of God gets richer. The people of God get more powerful. I mean, I think we're starting to get to the point where, you know, it's not going to be trendy maybe anymore to come to church. It might cost something. So all of a sudden, there's a purification of the body of Christ, and the light gets brighter. And that's how I look at it. Why will the people come? And I'm sort of making this up between the lines, as this is my thought, but why will all these people stream to the Lord? Well, the imagery is that, you know, Old Testament, the mountains were the place where the pagans worshipped. Jerusalem was another mountain where the, where, the, where the believers, the people of God, worshipped. So I think they're coming because they're recognizing that their false gods and their sacrifices and their um, uh, desire for all things carnal is not making the grade anymore. It's not satisfying. And so people will test the things of the world and find the world lacking. And they'll be looking for, I need hope. I mean, how many people have you spoken to that, that you know, that part of their testimony is, I went after everything and I realized it, it didn't fill me up. And then I met Jesus. And now I've got a new quest. Now I've got a new resource. Now I've got a well, not just a, a, a broken cistern. And that's the testimony of the New Testament. What would it be like if you were in Isaiah's time and you heard this prophecy 
all the peoples. Now, when he says peoples, imagine they're hearing pagans, bad people, the people that hate us, the devil worshipers. All of them are going to come to the mountain of the Lord. What would it feel like to you? Would it at first feel like, wait a minute, is this really such a good idea? Do we want pagan devil worshipers in the church? Yes! Guess what? They won't be pagan devil worshipers anymore when they see Jesus. I was thinking through this. I was trying to find a place in my life. I don't hang out with a huge amount of pagans. As far as I know. But I was trying to think in a place in my life, what, you know, what would this be like, sort of revival in a pagan place? And I just immediately was transported back to 1985 at the Delta Ta Delta House at Miami University. Talk about your pagan renewal. What would it be like if I learned even today, 70 of my Delta fraternity brothers were coming to the vineyard on a Sunday? Yeah, I'd run for the hills. <laughs> I was their chaplain back then. <laughs> they only talked to me drunken in the middle of the night for the most part. But man, did we have some good conversations. No, what would it be like if your whole workplace showed up at the church? What would it be like if your whole family, extended family, said, we're all coming because we want to meet this God that you've been telling us about? What would it be like if your whole neighborhood walked in? What if the neighbors of, in, your, in your community streamed to your door and just one after one, they said, you know, there's a light shining from this place, and it's pretty dark in my house and in my heart, and I really want to know what's going on here. You know what happens. Why will these people come? Why is God doing this and going to do this? Because as we sang a couple of times over in that, in that old Advent hymn, he is the desire, the dear desire of every nation. He's the hope and the consolation of all people, of all the earth. You know, the nations long for Jesus, whether they know it or not. Any pursuit in the world that comes from true longing is a pursuit for God. It just might be misplaced. So sometimes we come into the church or we bring people into the church and we want to say to them, now all those old longings, we're going to kill all those. I say, no, no, let's not kill all those longings. If, there, if it wasn't for desire, there would be no life. Right? Desire is not uh, evil. Disordered desire takes us down evil paths. But Jesus is the dear desire of every nation. We want it. We want him. Other people want him. There's a world longing for God that probably doesn't know that's who they're looking for. And we get to be a part of that process. It is so easy to lose hope in the world if we focus only on the current state of the world and not on the final statement of God. If we focus completely on the state of the world and the graphs and the, you know, the, the news feed, we, we will lose hope if it's just the state of the world. But what we get here is the final statement of the Lord. And that's where we find our hope. God says he's going to do it. He's bringing the peoples and the nations. He's going to draw them. Whatever it takes, he'll even use us. He'll, he, he longs to do it. Verse 4, what's God going to do? What's he in the midst of? 
He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. He goes into this plowshares and pruning hooks. Basically, he's saying they'll turn their weapons of war into implements of growth and provision. Rather than tanks and military training grounds, we'll have fields and harvesters. That's where we're headed in the end of all of this. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. It is so hard to imagine this right now, isn't it? As wars pop up and get closer and closer all the time. This is God's plan, and he's invited us into it. We're peacemakers. Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. That's us. We can't mandate peace. Peace comes in a person. I won't steal any of Adam's glory. He'll be speaking about peace, but I will say this. A part of our hope in this season is that peace will come. And the Prince of Peace, who has come, is coming and will come, will make all things right. This is truth for us. So Isaiah, in these first four verses, is giving us a picture or a vision of what it will be like eventually. The pagan nations letting go of all their sin and stuff and streaming to the temple to the presence of the Lord so that Jesus himself can teach them, these are my ways, and guide them, these are my paths, so they can walk in them. Jesus is going to do that. It's like he's giving us this this picture, this vision of what it will be, and then he's saying, now align yourself with this reality. Like you're, you're in a race, and you're the fourth leg, the fourth leg of, a, of a relay. You know, you, you, you see the baton coming, and then the baton's there. You can't just stand there and wait for it. You've got to, got to align yourself with the handoff, right? I think it's a part of what Isaiah's doing here. He's like, this is what's coming. You probably ought to start walking. Maybe a light jog. Because the Spirit of God is coming, and we want to keep in step with that Spirit. That's a a good example. Now I'll give you a bad example that makes more sense to me. Have you ever shopped at Ikea? And you bought something, and you saw it in its final form, and then you saw the picture on the box, and then you opened the box, and you swore under your breath. Because you don't own any of those tools unless you're my son-in-law. Right? You don't even know what. But But Ikea gives you a picture, like a vision this is what it's going to look like. And big time, what's the Swedish word? Hygge? 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 You know, really comfortable times are coming. You're going to sit in this chair and float off to heaven, right? As soon as you get this chair and this couch and this table and this lamp and that fake flower and all the candles, everything's going to be great, right? I think Isaiah's doing that. He's given us a picture of what it's going to look like. And he says, now, Bible in hand, here's the instruction book. Walk with me. We're going to do it. We're going to make this happen. We're putting this thing together. Now, as it is experienced in my home, there may be some put it all in and realize it's backwards and take it all out. You know, the good thing about God is I don't think there will be as many leftover pieces as I usually have because he's going to redeem everything. And the picture of heaven is better than that Ikea kitchen that you've been looking at, right? That's what Isaiah is doing. He's giving us a grand vision of what it's going to look like. 
And so he says, here, in this reality, in his presence, let us learn his ways and walk in his paths. Let us live in the light of the Lord. If the day's coming when the peoples will come, the pagans will give it all up and come to Jesus. If the day's coming when the, when the, when the nations stream to the king, if the day's coming when peace reigns rather than war, when there's no reason to, 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 uh, to bolster a military anymore because it's all about the kingdom, because those days are coming, verse 5, here's the exhortation. Isaiah says, In light of this promised future, come, des- descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. See, all that promise was w- for what's going to happen to people out there. And he says, if that's true, you know what we better do? Let us, people of God, who know the Lord, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We can live and we can walk in this hope now. We can. And we can cooperate in God's plan for the nations because our hope has come. Jesus is here and he's coming again. So real practical for these last few minutes. What is it that hinders us from walking in the light of the Lord? I want to spend less time on talking about the hindrances. You probably know those. You're probably aware of those. But what can we do practically to more uh, confidently walk in the light of the Lord in the midst of interior darkness, spiritual attack, Depression, despair, faith crisis. I am not planning to give you any pat cliches. I'm not going to tell you it's a one, two, three, and this is how you do it. Bang, bippity-boppity-hope, you got it like that. I can't do that. But I can proclaim the truth, and that is this, the truth of hope. No darkness can extinguish God's light and hope. There is no earthly darkness that can extinguish God's light and hope. There is no demonic darkness that can extinguish God's light and hope. You know, the devil must have thought for, a, for three days there, I think I won this one. I think, I think, I think we, we beat him. And then like, you know, the last minute, one minute rally at the fourth quarter of the football game, Jesus goes storming down. <laughs> been watching a lot of football. Jesus goes storming down the field and says, I'm alive. And we win. I mean, that's where we are now. So what can we do to increasingly walk in that light and live in that hope? And I will say three things, but it won't be three sermons. When it comes to light, we've got to run to the light. We've got to run to the light. When we open our Bibles in a morning or an afternoon or an evening, we're turning on the light. When we open the Word of God, we are turning on the light of God. We're opening to hope. We're opening to heavenly wisdom and vision. I'm not saying it's magical. It's a book, but it's written by God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It knows every part of you. And when we open the scriptures, wherever we open it, there's, we're opening to light. When we gather with other believers in a small group, one-on-one, groups of three, a dinner night, whatever it is, we are uh, turning on the light in our lives. 
when we hang out with another Christian in whom the light of Jesus lives, however bright or dim, we're turning on the light in our own lives. Those of us who uh, don't like to be around people, feel like I'm not enough, I can't do it, I don't have what it takes, I'm not up to them, all that stuff. When we walk into a, a, a small fellowship of people feeling all that awkwardness, and then we're honest with some other person about where we really are, we're turning on the light. The enemy loves darkness. Jesus is the light. We open up, you walk up to the ministry team and say, I'm struggling with sin. I'm in despair. I'm in a faith crisis. I'm in a financial crisis. I'm in a health crisis. You open up, you bring your reality into God's eternity, you turn it on the light. And these people or your small group leaders or friends, they're not the ones that are going to heal you, but the light of Jesus is in them. And that light can heal and will provide and will turn things on for you. And I'm just going to speak to, the, I mean, I've dealt with depression, anxiety. I'm not to the extent that some of you, but I know what it feels like when the cloud comes down. I know it feels like there is nothing I can do. And to some extent, I will say there is nothing you can do. You can't just faith your way through depression or anxiety. But you can posture yourself before the word. You can posture yourself before God's people and be open and honest. You can come into the sanctuary on a Sunday and lay down there and weep and just say, God, I need your light. Every time we pray, every time we commune with God in any way, shape, or form, that's my definition of prayer, any way that you commune, commune with God, we're bathing ourselves in God's light. It may not always feel it. It might still seem, seem dim to us. But every time we look up to heaven, we bathe ourselves in light. We bathe ourselves in the warmth of the Holy Spirit and that chill of despair that we've been walking in. I mean, it has a chance. It has a chance to warm. And I will say to you, having gone through some dark nights of the soul, that sometimes you just have to sit there and be and say, God, I don't feel you. I don't see you. I can't hear you, but I believe you're there. And I'm going to be in your presence and let you do the work. I, I want you to trust me, but more I want you to trust God that he will do it. Maybe not in your timing. Maybe not with your outcome, but he will do it. So I move to my second. That first is run to the light. The Bible, fellowship, honesty, confession, prayer. Second is trust the light, especially when you can't see. Trust the light. So many scriptures that encouraged me during particularly dark times. Psalm 139, one of my favorites. I just say, read Psalm 139. The psalmist says, you know, even if I say the darkness will cover me, even the darkness is not dark to you, O God. Darkness and light are the same. When we feel dark, the Lord is light. And sometimes the only light that we can walk by is his light. That means sometimes faithful obedience to the Lord, whether we feel it or not, is a part of ourselves posturing us, a, a part of posturing ourselves for light and hope. Endurance. I know it's hard, but it's worth it. 
Isaiah 42, I quoted this one to God so many times during some hard times. God, you said you lead the blind by paths they do not know. I'm blind and I do not know, so lead me. That's a valid prayer. It's in the Bible. Isaiah 42, God, I can't see. I'm blind. I'm about to run into something. I'm afraid. Please come and lead me. If I can't see the light, take me by the hand. And I, I promise this is the nature of God. This is God's character. I had a, a, a pastor say to me 30 years ago in a ministry time, I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit like I never had before, and honestly, as I never have since. Palpable uh, power running through my body. And this pastor came up. I was just shaking in God's presence. And this pastor came up and he just said it into my ear. Don't forget in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. And that has saved me time after time after time. Because I don't walk around shaking in the presence. <laughs> Sometimes I just walk around shaking. And I remember, don't forget in the darkness what God showed you in the light. Journal. Write it out. Remember. Speak it back to God. Find a friend who will tell you all the good news about your life. Or be a friend that will tell someone else. Not pat answers, not dismissing their pain, but who can tell you the good news about your life. So, run toward the light. Trust the light, even when it's dim. You know, let me read this word. We're going to go a little bit long today, but um, Stacy brought this word. And I, I, th I think it fits here and. Stacy, would you just raise your hand? If this applies to you, would you talk to Stacy? She can pray for you. She heard this in the, uh, sensed this in our worship time. God understands our fear. He understands the deep, deep pain of our grief. But he also understands the joy that will come to us. Her sense was it relates to someone either near death or feeling like they're about to face, uh, face the end. Um, when we come face to face with the Savior, and then we will be reunited with the Lord and the, and, the, and the loved ones that we've lost, and we'll be released from our pain and our suffering. They will be released from their pain and their suffering. Strength and grace will come. So the exhortation here, and you just discern how to apply this, is let them go home and let them do God's work. You'll have to talk some more to, uh, to Stacy about that. I think that for some of us, that's encouragement, either in our own deep grief or as we're grieving loss. There is a redemption that's coming we haven't seen yet. Hope means grabbing onto it and living in light of it, whether we feel it or see it or not. And finally this, give your light away. By the way, this is the how. You know, the people streaming and the nations coming. This is the how those people hear the good news. It's, it's through us. We give our light away. One, one of the ways to stay in hope is to give your hope away. It's that strange thing, you know, the, 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 the New Testament principle of giving, tithing, stewardship, we, 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 we only have because God gives us. We give it away, and when we give it away, we get more. We don't give to get more. We give out of love and obedience. But when we give, we get more. 
It's the same with hope and light. If you've got a glimmer, give it away. Don't hoard your light. Don't hoard your hope. The world's way too desperate for that. And when we walk in the light of the Lord, the, the world will likely notice. They will notice because our light is internal. We carry it with us. You know, I love that progression in the New Testament where at some point in John, Jesus says, hey, I'm the light of the world. And then later in Matthew, he says, oh, change-o, <laughs> plot twist, you're the light of the world. He's saying, I've come in as light, and now you can see God. But guess what? You walk out as the light. Doesn't mean we're God. You are not Jesus. Not my point. But he's in you. And the world may not be able to tell the difference. So when they come to you, when you can feel the agony, when you can see the grief, when you can sense the despair, have you, have you ever walked through the mall or something? Are there still, there are still malls, right? Two or three of them. You walk through the mall, maybe I'm just more of a feeler. Can you sense the despair? Can you just feel the anxiety? It doesn't matter what kind of mall or what kind of economic diversity or anything. You walk through and there's just this longing, anxious, palpable uh, angst. It's because they're all looking for God. I think he works in the mall, but you can't buy him there. You know how he gets his, his product out? It's you and me. We're, you know, Merlin uh, Gonzalez has a, has a shirt. It's a great shirt. It says, Hope Dealer. We're hope dealers. We must be hope dealers. We, we, I mean, that's the Father's business, is to deal hope. All right. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward before we stand... If the ministry team could come forward and ministry team, bring a pen with you. I know that sounds strange, but bring a pen with you because we need some more pens up here. <laughs> Might as well two birds and one stone and all that. And uh, if the ministry team can be on the flanks here because I'm going to ask the rest of you to engage in a, in a prophetic act and in in an act of faith um, and hope. At the end of each service during our Advent season, we're going to have a jar up here. And there's an, inst an Advent installation out there that our arts community did for us. We've done this a couple of years. And we're going to fill these jars with prayers for hope and prayers for peace and prayers for joy and prayers for love. So if there's a place in your life where you need access to the hope and the light of Jesus, come up and write your prayer request right down here and pop it in here. Do it now. I mean, come, you can start while I'm talking. Just write your prayer request right up there. Maybe there's someone in your life that you know needs hope. Write their name down here. You can put as many details as you want or be as vague as you want. These prayers are going to go out to a ministry team, and we're going to pray through Advent for every single prayer request. If you need hope, write it down and put it in. This is you coming to God saying, I need hope and I believe you'll give it. If you've got a friend who needs hope, come forward, write it down, put their situation in there, put their name in there. We might be in the need of hope, so we pray. Maybe we know someone in the need of hope, so we pray. So come forward, put your prayer request in there. We're going to pray for those. And then I would invite you if after you've uh, written down your prayer request, you want someone on the ministry team to pray for you, please. We're hope dealers. There's a plentiful supply of hope. 
Jesus is calling us this morning to walk in the light of his hope. And if you don't feel it and if you don't have it, come forward and ask for it. So um, uh, Ray, I don't know where Ray is, but I think we're going to need more pieces of paper. Um, And maybe we can spread them out to the other tables and put them all in this jar. This is how we're going to close coming to the Lord of hope and light by asking him for that. So if you want um, to, to put in your prayer or to ask for prayer, please come forward. In just a minute, I'll dismiss us with a benediction. We also had a few more words that we wanted to give out. So as you guys are working on that, it's a multitasking morning here. Um, I'm going to hand this over. So um, God was showing me, um, as, as I was listening to Randy speak, that there is a specific invitation today uh, for men who feel like their junk is too much for God. Um, The hope is that there's men here who are willing to walk through their junk uh, with them and Jesus, and um, including myself. Uh, There's nothing that God cannot heal, and there's so many testimonies I can just give about my own life, but there's nothing that God cannot heal, and there's nothing that's too big for God to heal, because he already sees you, he knows you, he loves you regardless, he's just waiting for you to come to him so he can can fix the stuff that that he's the only one who can fix anyway. So be bold, be courageous, be hopeful. And uh, yeah. Thanks. So if you're a man and that resonates with you, you can, um, you can come on up and um, receive prayer. Um, and also we had another one. outcasts. I, the Lord Almighty, welcome you. I, the creator of the universe, designed you uniquely in a stunning and an amazing way. I never designed or intended you to be pushed aside or ignored or pushed out of groups. My heart feels and deeply knows all of your rejection, even how you chronically rejected yourselves. My Abba heart breaks when you do that. Cherished, cherished, cherished sons and daughters, I long to heal you completely and to embrace you. Sons and daughters who I have made, I've created, I long to tenderly knit you back into my heart so you feel connected to me and to tenderly knit you into my body. I have assigned some safe people who love me well to love you too. Sons and daughters, allow me to heal your heart, to knit you back into my safe, loving community. plenty of paper up here for you to write your prayers. We want to just receive the good news, the benediction this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.